Hello, my children, welcome back. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet because this is a kind of a long episode and I'm a day behind because the latest episode of Then Just Like That came out yesterday and today is New Year's Eve, so I have to go out and get stuff for the festivities. Don't get crazy. Festivities meaning how I'm going to jazz up the house for myself, my mother and my father in our uh, HEPA air filtered COVID safe home. I'm not going out anywhere. I'm not crazy. Um, But I reviewed episode three and four with fashion analysis and race interpretation and gender interpretation. It's fabulous, darlings. Um, But uh, in my flurry of the week and dealing with the end of the year and all emotions those bring up and just, you know, Omicron taking over everywhere and canceling a lot of stuff that I planned to do, I forgot to do my sign off. So I'm going to start at the beginning and um, wish you a happy end of the year and this year has been so insane to even say that sounds insane Um, but I hope that you are centered I hope that who you love is safe and I hope that you can end this year with empathy for others (sighs) let's move forward like that and get into Carrie and the women it's a fabulous extension of Sex in the City and you know I came to the realization that If you like Sex and the City, you'll like the show. If you never liked it, then you won't like the show. Um, But any comparisons out there to the two who say it's lesser, they're not being genuine. It's good writing. It's good acting. It's good. Um, So enjoy. The Great Flood has spoken. Hey, we're here to discuss, and just like that, when in Rome, episode three. Um, interesting episode. Now we're like, you know, the show is on its way. We, we got on track with episodes one and two. We're like a third of the way down the train track, and now it's starting to get a little bumpy. It's starting to rattle. Things are starting to get exciting on the train. There are people getting on and off the train. It's back to kind of shady characters. Kind of weird characters coming in and out. Things developing. Interesting moments. We're just going to hit the highlights. First of all, for me... Uh, the most successful fashion moment I've seen. I, it, had, we, it was the best of times and the worst of times of fashion in this episode. Molly Rogers, there was a moment in the first, in the podcast scene with Carrie, where she's getting it from the table and Che comes over to Carrie and says, good job on the podcast because Carrie got some zingers in. And she's wearing layer upon layer upon layer. She's got the um, early 1900 Wicked Witch poof shoulders with like a tunic under it or something and like a Gucci. It's, it's one of those moments. And I mean, Pat Field is a genius and Molly Rogers was Pat Field's assistant through the entire series through both films. So she's, you know, vetted. But sometimes... Pat Field is guilty of doing too much, right? Of putting on too many layers and too many of the wrong layers. And this was a, so it was in true Carrie fashion of it just being too many layers and just doing too much. It wasn't like haute couture crazy, but it was just like layer upon layer upon layer and just trying too much. Cause she had on a long sleeve tunic with a weird half, um, like a, like a, sweater I'm trying to explain it I didn't look up any of the labels because I don't care because the look was 
ridiculous to me. It wasn't ugly. It was just like, why would you do all that for a podcast? <laughs> so that's what I was like, it's a podcast and you're like dressed in label, 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 and it's too many layers and it looks ridiculous. If she had just had on the beige, um, long sleeved top and maybe the, um, I think it was a Gucci, like underarm shoulder cross bag thing. That would have been a cute look, but to have on this long sleeve top and this looked like a shrug, but it had those Victorian poof, poofy high shoulder. Th- it, this, it was too much. So they had the worst moment for me. And then the best moment, Carrie's coming home uh, and she looks, it's, it's like Dorothy, modern Dorothy goes to Mozambique like totally sophisticated she's got this long uh, gingham dress on but this beautiful long coat over it and this amazing hat it's a perfect pat field moment so molly rogers you knocked it out of the park there with the cream coat with black um look like butterflies on it i'm trying to remember this is all from memory she had like a cream long coat over this beautiful gingham dress, this amazing summer hat, and then a nice bag. That was a, 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 a like a picnic bag. That's what made it look like Dorothy to me. Because it looked like Dorothy's picnic basket and the dress. Fabulous. Wonderful combination. So that was the best of times, fashion, and the worst of times. Everyone else just looks pretty normal. Um... So that's that. And and the plot in this in this script is pretty good. Um, Carrie finds out the big thing about Natasha being left a million dollars and kind of spirals as Carrie does. And the good thing about this was, yes, this is the Carrie we need. As I said before, put together Carrie is aspirational. It's who we want to be, but it's not who we are. This is where SJP shines, playing a woman trying to figure it out. And it was great. It feels like old Carrie, the Carrie we love to see. And it was just really, really good. Um, So that was a great arc. And then we find out that Natasha doesn't know what in the world is going on. Kudos to the actress. She looks exactly the same. It looks like she hasn't aged today. And I don't want to get into beauty standards, but she does look amazing. Um, And that was funny. And then the bathroom scene with her was funny. And that, that, I think, is a... A callback to, that, I think that happened in the series, right? She walked in on Natasha in the bathroom before, I think? I'm just, again, this is off the cuff. I have no notes. I'm just trying to remember what I remember. Um, I think they had a bathroom interaction before. Something embarrassing like that, right? So, hilarious. And Carrie burns her hand with scalding coffee this time. And then have a lovely, sweet moment when Natasha takes the ice out of her drink, puts it in a plastic bag, and gives it to Carrie so that she can put it on the burn. And they find out that neither one of them know why Big left Natasha a million dollars in his will. <laughs> so that's nice. There was a nice moment between them to sort of end that storyline. I thought it was nice. And Michael Patrick King is doing that really well. I got some, I got a read for him in a minute. But what he's doing really well here is calling back all of our favorite characters in a way that makes sense, that's organic, that doesn't seem unnecessary just to have the actress there he's doing a really good job with that um so i appreciate that it made sense um 
And it also then doesn't make big like this saint who's been murdered, right? <laughs> uh, of course, he had a heart attack. He wasn't murdered, but, you know, we don't hate Carrie. So that's great. They're doing a weird, I shouldn't say weird, an interesting thing with Miranda's art. Clearly, she's going to come out of the closet as bisexual or something, um, which is kind of interesting because she had the lesbian arc in the show and then discovered that she was not... And now she is, and yes, sexuality is a spectrum and all that stuff. Um, but it's just kind of interesting because it's like, why didn't you pursue this in the show or the films for her to be queer all of a sudden now? It does seem contrived just to bring in a non-binary character. I know that Cynthia Nixon is a lesbian, um, but they didn't turn her lesbian in the show. And the long-running joke has always been that clearly Miranda is a lesbian, the character. Um, even though the character was not <laughs> in the show, um, it just really seems that that seems inorganic. To, and everyone is pretty much saying that on the internet. Like, she tried lesbianism, didn't work out for her. The character is not a lesbian. So the Nixon is, but the character is not. So it just seems kind of like you just wanted to bring a non-binary character in to be trendy. And that kind of does seem artificial. Getting to that, um, Sarah Ramirez is Che. Love the character. Got some questions about the writing. And again, this is Michael Patrick King. I gave him kudos earlier. Now I'm going to read him for filth a little bit. Just a little bit. Maybe not for filth. Just read him, read him for dirt, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> read, read him for smudge instead of for filth. Um, I don't know why Che needs to be a stand-up comic. Because Che already has a podcast. Because Michael Patrick King does not know how to write stand-up, and it was awful. As my friend said on, on, um, in a DM on Instagram, she said, that was a motivational speech. <laughs> that was not stand-up. That was the worst stand-up I've ever heard. Uh, to me, it sounded like my, Michael Patrick King picked up a brochure from HRC on gender and like included all the bullet points from like Gender 101 and added an applause. First of all, the stand-up made no sense because this character is doing stand-up to an audience of looks, what looks like mostly non-binary people. But the stand-up they're doing is written for the audience of Sex and the City, which is mostly straight, cisgender white women. The stand-up that Che is doing is not stand-up you would deliver to a room of the community. The stand-up is written for people outside of the community, but you're showing Che performing for the community. So that's where there's a real uh, disconnect there. Also, it's just poorly written. They're not funny jokes. They're not good. Um, it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> and it just, it, it, like my friends, it reads like a motivational speech. Uh, it's like a bad TED Talk. I mean, this is awful stand-up. And then, and I... Oh, being an actor myself, it's hard to walk this line, but I gotta say it. Sarah Ramirez is a Tony Award winning actor. An incredible actor. They played Lady in the Lake and Spamalot. I've brought that up before. Incredible singer. Wonderful actor. You remember them on Grey's Anatomy. Wonderful. Not a stand-up comic. Can't really deliver these jokes that well. Now also, they're poorly written, so that doesn't help them. But it was like it's hard to tell if it's because 
Ramirez is struggling with trying to deliver this material like it's being improvised because it seemed like it was it also just felt awkward the delivery of these jokes felt awkward like Sir Ramirez was trying to act I'm improving instead of actually you know I think it would have been better if they would just let just would have let Chick get up there and improv and if they did if that's Sarah Ramirez improving, yikes. It's terrifying. So I'm going to credit this to Michael Patrick King writing poorly. If it's Sarah Ramirez improving, that's terrifying. Um, and I am no improv master. Let me not put that out there. But that was bad. And, you know, where where is the person who can tell Michael Patrick King, girl, you got to go back and write that again? SJP, somebody who's in charge, has said... This is terrible, and we need to reshoot this. It's bad. I mean, really bad. And the reason why I'm harping on it is because Che is supposed to be this wildly successful podcast creator. And if we're saying that they got this podcast because they're a successful comic, and they're supposed to be successful because this is supposed to be their Netflix special... Um, and then they make a line saying, you know, if I were a man, I would have had this special five years ago. So we're supposed to believe they're supposed to have their chops as a stand-up comic. They've been doing stand-up for years, at least five years from that plot point. That little throwaway line says they've been doing stand-up for at least five years. This sounds like an open mic that is going, it sounds like someone is dying on stage. Like they're, um, what's it called? Bombing. Like what what we what we saw on screen was a comic bombing on stage, but it's supposed to be a success. So that was crazy. <laughs> I'm like, am I seeing the same thing everyone else is? And then I went on Twitter and everyone else was saying, Yeah, that was bad. So that's just weird that nobody caught that and they didn't just reshoot it and like s- s- consult some comics to write some material. Because again, either it's Sarah Ramirez not knowing how to improv. Or it's Michael Patrick King writing awful stand-up. It's one of the two, or a combination of both. But also, I give Ramirez credit, because Ramirez is not a stand-up comic. So, I, I don't know, it was just, it was really, really bizarre. And, like, it, ugh, let me get off that, because I was like, what is happening? Um, so, that, so, okay, fashion moment, good fashion moment, bad fashion moment... Ramirez, terrible comic, bad writing there. Oh, Charlotte. Um, I know Charlotte's story is going to come into focus with Nicole Ari Parker's character, I think, in the next episode. Because right now, they're really struggling. Charlotte is like an an add-on. Charlotte is an also-ran right now in every scene. She just says something conservative, and then the girls kind of jump on her. Like, right now in the car, in this episode in the car, she, as a good friend, brings up the point that Miranda is day drinking a lot. And Carrie's like, shut up. Now, that's weird. You know, for you to be really good friends, and says, and if one friend says to another, hey, I think our mutual friend is an alcoholic, and you just say, don't talk about it? That's strange. Of course, Carrie's husband just died, so she's not in the right mindset but that's also weird i think for me the golden moment this is what's so funny 
So we have a whole scene with an actual non-binary actor doing this stand-up that's awful. But to me, the actual teaching moment that was wonderful and that makes sense was a moment between Mario Cantone and Kristen Davis where Kristen Davis, uh, Charlotte pulls Anthony aside because she thinks her daughter might be non-binary and Anthony's like, she's a kid. She thought she was a dragon. She thought she was a dog when she was a kid. Did you, did you put a, 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 you know, a bowl of water on the floor? I thought I was a, thought I was Tinkerbell when I was a child. Kids think, kids want to be dragons too. Do, Do you believe that? Like, you know, and I think we are doing that. I think we're labeling kids as as something way too early, you know? Kids want to be a fireman one day, and then they want to be a ghost the next day, and, like, let kids be kids. And then when they grow up and, and can experience their sexuality and gender and know that, then let them choose that label for themselves if that's who they are. I think we're putting labels on kids way too early way too early and that's for everything i also don't like how we you know when i I used to work for the disney store and we always used to say when parents came in are we shopping for a prince or a princess today that's disgusting too like we we need to stop putting that on kids that early just say who are you shopping for today you know and then we have these you know but disney used to be very gendered in their toys i don't know if they're getting away from that but I mean, we still have the Disney Princess collection, so I guess not. However, to me, that was the the shining, beautiful, culturally woke moment in a great way was teaching people to like not label their kids so early. And just because your kid says, just because you're assigned at birth, female child says, I don't feel like a girl, doesn't mean that they're trans. It doesn't mean that they're not. But it doesn't also necessarily mean that they are. And just give them time to figure it out. Give them the space and give them the time to figure that out. And don't put a label on them and go crazy. And that's what Mario Cantone basically said as Anthony. I thought, that is the takeaway. That's a lovely moment. And to me, that was much a much better gender 101 than that awful stand-up routine <laughs> that they had chain delivery i i was like see this this is the thing right here this rings true that stand-up routine was terrible it was very basic very paint by number and literally a powerpoint presentation on gender it was just not funny um and i thought wow if you hold those two scenes up apples to apples the scene with anthony and and, uh, charlotte is the one that's going to change people's minds is the one that's going to open up a suburban straight white female housewife's mind about their kid and gender not that awful stand-up scene so i thought that was interesting to point out um what else happened in the episode i think that's all i want to talk about but that the the sophisticated dorothy gale outfit was knocked it out of the park molly rogers that first outfit she, Carrie had on was terrible. Too many layers. Um, oh, and at the end of the episode, Carrie goes back to her old apartment. So now we're seeing like her in her final form, right? Back to single Carrie, back to the old apartment. We got the preview that she's going to sell 
their Fifth Avenue place. Like, I'm like, yes, yes, single Carrie is back. Great. She never should have married big in the first place. I've said that for years. Carrie is married to New York City, not to a man. And I think this is lovely to show women that you can be 50 and single and have a beautiful, amazing life. That's feminism. That's woke. You don't have to be partnered. You don't have to kowtow to capitalism and be a unit that the state recognizes and takes all your money. Like, you don't need to play into any of that. That is progressive. And single-carry dating and being happy and healthy and whole is, to me, the point of the series and the point of this this reboot um, or next chapter. Because, to me, what was fascinating about Sex in the City was it really was, if you followed the trajectory of it, it was like Sex in the City was a modern retelling of Little Women, because they all ended up partnered, they all ended up married in very traditional situations. Even Samantha, they gave her a life partner. They weren't married, but they had a ring, and it was like they were, like, wow. So in the end, this progressive show turns out to be Little Women, which is one of my favorite books, by the way. Little Women, Good Wives, Joe's Boys, Little Men. I love all of those books. I love Louisa May Alcott. But I thought it was hilarious that this supposedly progressive show was basically Little Women in the end. And this is breaking out of that. This is progressing that and moving it on into the future. Um, so I love I love where the series is going. It's well written for the most part. This episode, there were some scenes like that stand up where you're like, wow, ouch. <laughs> Clunk. It, it fell, it bombed with a nuclear atom bomb <laughs> however many kind of bombs you can a dirt bomb an atom bomb a sonic boom it was awful terrible mpk don't do that again please contact some actual stand-ups and if that is the result of a, of a room of stand-up comics they're the worst stand-up comics ever assembled i don't care what their name is okay that's it I look forward to the next episode. Tune in. Girls, the latest episode of Sex in the City, um, and just like that, is written by an incredible black female playwright by the name of Kelly Golf. Kelly Golf, and she hit it out of the park. This is one of my top five episodes of Sex in the City because it organically, intrinsically, beautifully lays in black women um, in a way that makes sense, in a way that gives them agency to where they're, and women of color, black women and women of color, um, and lays in how we can have the best intentions but screw things up and assumptions about race misinterpretations it's just beautiful so um the black addition to the cast nicole Ari parker an accomplished actress um kristen davis's character charlotte is trying to she really wants to have a diverse friend group and she keeps saying that to harry her husband and that brings up tokenism right like a lot of a lot of um, 
upper middle class black people, we find ourselves being like the black friend in a white couple, right? And so she's worried about tokenism. So she is self-aware, but she's like, I really want to, you know, let um, Nicole Ari Parker's character, I can't think of her name. Lisa, Lisa Wallace, I think their name is Lisa. Lisa, no, Charlotte says to Harry, I want Lisa to know that like, we're culturally educated and we're not, we don't want to make them tokens. We just want to have a diverse friend group and she's fantastic and amazing. And they are, um, their kids are in the same, they're in like the mom group at school. The kids go to the same school or something. And so they're, they're, they know each other because they're moms who pick up their kids together and they have play dates with their kids, stuff like that. Um, and, and Charlotte being the mother of an Asian American wants to make sure that her daughter's friend group is also diverse, right? So she, first of all, the great thing about this character, Lisa Wallace, and I went into this a little bit before, she's completely different than any other black person they've tried to introduce into Sex in the City in that she is on their level. She has the same education they do. She has the same income that they do or more. Um, so she's not beneath them uh, uh, economically. She's not poor. Uh, she's on their level in every way. So she has the same agency that they do. That's been the issue before. Either the person was completely objectified, like Blair uh, Underwood in the Miranda situation, or they're literally a maid. I'm repeating myself now. But this is the fact. It's good to review. In the uh, case of Jennifer Hudson in the second film. Was the first film? I can't remember. I think it was the first movie. Yeah. I think it was the first movie. Um, she was a maid. They literally made Jennifer Hudson the maid of Carrie Bradshaw. So none of that. Lisa Wallace is accomplished, she's incredible, she's smart, she's a fashionista like the rest of the girls are, women are, pardon me, and um, Charlotte and Harry are worried about being, they were going to have Lisa over, but it, it got reversed, so they went over to Lisa's house, pardon me, we'll cut that out, they went over to Lisa's house and they were like the only white couple there, but one cool thing that happened uh, was that there's all this, Lisa Wallace collects very expensive art and her mother-in-law shames her on how much the art costs. Well, Charlotte gets to use her skills as a docent and she has a, a college degree in, in art history and point out how the beautiful Lisa Gordon Parks and all these other amazing black artists and how rare these pieces are and how they will accumulate in value and really come through for Lisa Wallace in front of her stepmother and like show the room like I know I know my stuff when it comes to black art um that I'm not you know a white liberal who's trying to like pose like I really know my stuff and that was cool that was nice and um Lisa Wallace confessed to Charlotte that she was like, I was afraid you'd be uncomfortable because you're the only white person in the room. So it was, it was great. And it showed how, you know, we all have the same fears when it comes to race relations. We all have the same frustrations and worries. And, you know, we, when we have a true friend of another race, we want to culturally respect them, but not make them feel awkward in the room. And it was just really lovely. So there's that storyline. Then, um, Carrie Bradshaw has a, um, her realtor is 
Oh, um, I have not looked up the woman's race on the internet, but her realtor is a non-black person of color. And um, Carrie goes kind of off on the woman because the woman in in getting Carrie's apartment ready to show because Carrie is selling the apartment she had with Big, um, the woman's movers like break just the glass in a um, photo of her and Big. Again, the woman did not know that Carrie's husband died. Carrie had not told her that. It was a picture of her and Big and just the glass was broken. The picture wasn't injured. The frame was not destroyed. And the woman was like, it's just glass. We'll replace the glass. Everything's fine. And Carrie kind of went off and the woman of color I can't even remember the character's name <laughs> and this is not any kind of um the character has agency she's a real estate agent she's like a high-priced real estate agent she's fabulous uh, Seema the character's name is Seema just came to me so Seema says well that was not my intent and Carrie's like well I don't care if that was your intent that's how it came across to me it's how it made me feel and she really apologized but she kind of turns it around on her, legitimately so, and says, you know, often what we mean is not how it comes across, just like the other day. And she checks Carrie, because Carrie made Seema share with her, you know, Carrie and, she, and Seema are the same age. They're in their 50s, mid-50s. And Seema's like, I'm still dating. And, you know, the dating pool is a nightmare. And Carrie said, well, I'm it's great that you're still putting yourself out there. And she's, when she said that line, I recoiled back and said, ouch. Um, but the scene just went on and the, and the actress did not register any kind of slight, even though that's a huge dig. Well, in this scene, Seema turns it around and says, just like the other day when you told me, it's still great that you're putting yourself out there. Like I have no hope, like it's pointless. You know, that really insulted me even though I'm sure you didn't intend that. So again, this is a white woman, a non-black woman of color, like, and so that wasn't a racial moment, but it was just a moment of misinterpreted lines and how communication can get, can get muddy. And then the third storyline between, interracial storyline was between Miranda and her law professor, I can't remember the law professor's name. I did not Google the black actress's name, even though she's incredible. I will learn her name in a minute. Um, I'm not Googling it. I'll Google it later. <laughs> but um, the law professor, uh, first of all, I feel like they have her because I've, I've mentioned fashion before with this character. I almost feel like they directly have this law professor in a Samantha Jones costume. I would need to, to Google, but it looks like something Samantha Jones used to wear. They have this law professor in a lot of jewelry. And I'm I'm guessing, probably with how um, aware they are of us out here Googling stuff, it's probably a black artist, I would assume, with the jewelry that she has on. I hope it is. Um, but she's finally wearing something that is, feels like... Pat Field. So Molly Rogers, who is Pat Field's assistant, is doing a great job. Now the law professor looks like the visual costume language of Sex in the City, while she has this, what I'm assuming is black, uh, black-owned, black-designed jewelry on that then makes her costume more organic to her. 
and they have a great scene. The uh, professor is trying um, in vitro fertilization, and Miranda talks about motherhood. So it was a great leveling scene where they're equal, and the black woman is vulnerable, and we're not allowed to be vulnerable as black Americans, so that was fantastic. And that was actually part of the dynamic with Nicole Ari Parker that I loved, was that she got to show some vulnerability that, look, I was also nervous as you are, Charlotte. So what this episode did was humanize people of color, women of color, humanize black women without taking us down a peg. They got to keep their agency, the black women. Um, they got to show that they're on the same level, but at the same time be vulnerable. And that to me is something we never get to do on screen. And um, they're black Americans. So I like that, that these are black American actresses. Um, I haven't, again, I don't, I haven't checked on the actress who plays Seema, the non-black woman of color. Um, but as far as the black actresses, they are black Americans. And I like that as well. This is an American show. These are black American characters. Um, unlike Insecure. Uh, <laughs> which I think is fascinating that even though this show, I mean, anybody with a brain would know that the, the target audience of Sex and the City is white women, this show that has black American actresses in it playing black American characters has a black American actress writing this episode to me is far more woke and far more inclusive and far more. So the thing about, and just like that, that is far more progressive is that uh, Kelly Goff has written a beautiful episode where black women are integrated without being assimilated. They're shown as being vulnerable, but they get to keep all of their agency and all of their power. They're not less than, they're equal to, and fantastic, and they get to be vulnerable on screen, which is what we like so much about Miranda, Charlotte, and Carrie, is that we see those powerful, smart, clever, sassy women who also get to be vulnerable, who also get to cry and be a mess and figure it out on their own without the help of a man. So kudos to Kelly Goff for writing um, what to me is one of the most progressive, in the best way, leaning in depictions of black American women I've seen on screen in a dramatic sitcom, especially in 2020, 2021. Kudos to you. Culturally and nationally right now, we are in a, a federal spirit of gaslighting. Just completely rewriting reality for all of us and giving us all a fake reality 24-7. Not only does social media do that, but we keep, uh, you know, peeing on our proverbial legs and telling ourselves that it's raining, um, which is gaslighting, right? Uh, it, it It's mind-numbing. I mean, the COVID stuff that I'm seeing, you know, um, everyone trying to complain about, well, why doesn't the government have enough COVID tests out and I can't get a fast acting antigen, uh, rapid COVID test, which by the way, only is a snapshot of what's happening with you that day. It doesn't mean you don't have COVID. It just means you're not detectable that, that second, you know, you would need to retest, you know, ideally you need to PCR test. Uh, 14 days twice, right? 
in isolation to know if you're actually COVID-free or undetectable. Um, an antigen test just says that you don't have enough virus to be detectable. At that moment, you could be detectable the next day, right? So unless you're antigen testing every day, it's not really that great. But the gaslighting is that, you know, people are saying, well, the problem is we don't have enough testing. No, the problem is everyone isn't vaccinated and the vaccine is free. If everybody were vaccinated and everyone got boosted, there wouldn't have been enough unvaccinated people for Delta to mutate into Omicron. That's scientific fact. When you don't vaccinate everybody and you make it, you know, a choice, as opposed to every other vaccination you have to have to go to school, to be in the military, et cetera, et cetera, that's how hosts are left who are unvaccinated for the virus to mutate. This is insanity. This is stupidity. So that's gaslighting number one. Well, the problem is testing when we all know the problem is there are unvaccinated people who we continually we continue to just let stay unvaccinated and just really, really say, oh, will you please take the vaccine? We really urge you. You know what we don't do? We don't urge people to wear seatbelts. We don't encourage people to not smoke indoors. We make it illegal. We will fine you. If you try to smoke indoors, you will be escorted out of the restaurant, right? If you drive around without a seatbelt, a cop stops you, they will fine you. They will give you a ticket. You get enough tickets, you don't pay them, you go to jail. Like, that's what we have to start doing with the unvaccinated. Or we will never get out of this pandemic. We will go from variant to variant to variant. Broadway shows are closing now. Music Man just closed. So let me move on to the next topic. The gaslighting we're doing in society in theater. Music Man is closing on Broadway because they're not following COVID protocols. Listen, I'm a COVID compliance officer. I took a class offered by USITT. I know what the COVID protocols are to keep a show open. Listen, Broadway is not doing them for the most part. It's patchwork. Everyone's doing what they want to do. The Broadway League is not making everyone do the same thing. So every show is doing whatever the hell they want to do. And we see how well that's working. Here are the facts, people, and we keep gaslighting ourselves when we know the truth. There is no safe acting with a large cast unmasked. Period. Okay? Regardless of vaccination status. And let me tell you, the COVID protocol training that I went through is uh, was developed so that it will work regardless of vaccination status. You must have a properly, there are four protocols you have to follow. Masking, properly fitted and worn mask, physical distancing, ventilation, and hand sanitization. Those are the four COVID protocols you must have in place to mitigate for COVID-19 spread. Ventilation means you have windows, doors open, Install HEPA air filters. I bought a HEPA air filter. I'm a poor teacher. You're telling me a Broadway show can't afford to buy 10 HEPA air filters and throw them into a theater? Would cost less money than closing down your Broadway show for a week, wouldn't it? Put in HEPA air filters, mask every actor on stage. Well, what about acting? We can't act with a mask on. Funny, the Greeks did it for thousands of years with way bigger masks than what you have to wear. 
So I guess you need to know how to act better, act bigger, make it work. The Greeks did it, so can you. Put on a mask on stage, physical distance on stage. Make sure every, I literally took a bottle of hand sanitizer and pumped it into every hand of every actor and every crew member in my rehearsal. You can do it, make it done. We didn't even have testing because the state of Tennessee doesn't really allow it. Um, but with the other COVID protocols, you that's the point. The other protocols are so severe, you can do it regardless of knowing what the vaccination status of people is. We know what to do. Stop acting. Stop gaslighting everybody and lying like we don't know what to do and this is just the way it is. No. We know what to do to make this safe. Do it. Do it. Do these shows masked. You can do it. Physical distance, hand sanitize, get the ventilation, keep the theater doors open, put in HEPA filters. That's the only way we're going to be able to move forward until everyone is vaccinated. It is asinine and insanity to proceed any other way. 